All right, welcome back. Episode yeah. number five. Can't believe it. Man, five already. Yeah. That means we've been five weeks in, um, in doing this thing. It's exciting. It's crazy. And I continue to learn so much. I feel like this is blessing me more than I think that it's going to bless other people. <clears throat> Which we just talked about. So we, uh, I think what would be cool today is I got a text message from somebody asking me to talk about our testimonies mm. and, uh, give, I guess giving light into, you know, how we came to Christ and, um, we talked about that on Sunday and I mean, the things that you spoke about, what I think will be extremely helpful for people. Um, so, yeah. Cool. Exciting. So, what do you got? You want me to go how first? Did, yeah. How did, okay. how, how did you come to know Jesus? So, as a kid... You know, I grew up in church. Um, you know, my parents talk about, you know, us growing up in, in kind of a Catholic household. Um, we had a lot of family that went from, like, Catholic to Jehovah's Witness, then to kind of non-denominational. Um, and uh, I don't remember maybe but a couple of times like going to, like, Catholic Mass with my grandparents never with my parents, but going to mass with my grandparents. And, um, but never really understanding. I think that even growing up in El Paso, they were you know, speaking Spanish the whole entire time. And that was my first language. And then I completely forgot it because mm. we moved away from my grandmother. And uh, so growing up in, you know, this environment of, kind of this Catholic church. I, I really didn't know kind of really who God was, et cetera. Fast forward teenage years. I was 13 years old. My parents, uh, got tickets to go see Billy Graham. And I honestly viewed it as like a church service. We were, we were going to church already, et cetera, and going to a non-denominational church. And, uh, you know, at the end of, of the service, he does an altar call. And there was this moment where if I, if, I, if I reflect on it enough, I probably will remember like every single thing. But there are a couple moments where that, that kind of are popping out automatically where I felt like I could start to feel this presence. Didn't know what it was until, until Billy Graham did the altar call. And, uh, you know, he had mentioned, okay, you're going to have you know, people on the floor that wearing blue and red shirts and uh, they're going to take some information from you and then they're going to give you a Bible. And, um, and take, you know, and basically kind of reach out to you after the fact. <clears throat> so I looked at my parents and I'm like, all right, I think I want to do this. 13 in a stadium in Albuquerque, New Mexico. My, my parents were like, go. So I kind of, I don't remember running, but just the feeling, like I feel like I ran down there, got down there and 
found the first person that I can find in red and um, first thing they did was they prayed. And uh, and because we already had did the kind of the altar call with, with Billy, um, it was more about at that moment, like, where are you coming from? What is your season like? 13 years old, didn't really have much, right? You're like, you're just a kid. But one of the behaviors and the things that came from that moment is they gave me a three ring binder Bible. And, uh, I, I got to take that home and I was so pumped up cause I wanted a Bible so bad, uh, never communicated this to my parents, but they gave us the Bible and, um, and we went home and my dad was, he had like a Chevy truck with like this camper thing in the back. And I'm in the back with my buddy. I brought, I invited a friend to come with us. He also gave his life to Christ. He grew up in a home that didn't go to church, didn't believe in Jesus, didn't, didn't have any faith whatsoever. And so I'm sitting back there and I'm like, dude, I'm so excited. We have this, I, have, I finally have this Bible. And, uh, and I was like, how do you feel? And he's, his response was, I don't know how my parents are going to feel about this. 13 years old. I'm like, who cares? Who cares what they think? And, um, and so we get him home a couple of days later, I start to open up scripture and then things just started popping up and popping out at me. And I remember like it was yesterday walking up to my mom and saying, you know, I was probably in Genesis and I, and I read off a couple verses I'm like, what does this mean? And in the moment, she didn't know what to say. Uh, she was like, oh, I, I don't know. I, 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 it wasn't like a rude way, like, get out of here, kid. Like, I don't have time, that type of thing. I just, I just think her walk at that moment was, was different than what it is now. And, uh, and that was the moment where I began to see the connection through scripture and Jesus grew up normal. Um, we didn't grow up rich or anything like that. We were kind of, um, we weren't even middle-class. I mean, there were moments where we were very poor, but like we had a good household. My parents always worked and, uh, um, So my life as a child growing up and going into teenage, into this teenager, you know, phase of life, I had this conviction. I had all these things that like, I wanted to honor God and I didn't do a lot of crazy things. I did do some crazy things, but you know, I didn't do as many as like my peers were. Right. And I think a lot of that was because of the relationship that was started when I was 13. And as I got older, got married at a young age, 21, was in this relationship for you know, three to four years and, um, it didn't work out. And, um, there was a lot of brokenness that came from that relationship. And so there was a moment I had already started serving at Shoreline and, um, was kind of on staff part-time, uh, doing concerts and events, uh, with, uh, with my mentor, David. And, uh, I was sitting in my mom's office, um, had just moved back from Los Angeles and 
there was there was this moment in worship. I there's 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 a reason why I love Hillsong United because that was the album that I was playing as I encountered God, right? As I encountered Jesus in this way that I've never encountered him before. Like being a young kid, I could feel his presence. I could feel conviction. I can feel all these things. But there was, because of this brokenness, there was this awareness of grasping onto his garment that I didn't even know about then that drove me into what I consider now was the relationship that I have with him. And it was through despair. It was through chaos. It was through through pain. And it was the first time that I met the Holy Spirit with awareness from that. Um, and feeling his sovereignty and feeling his grace and his mercy and love. Um, and in that moment, I was contemplating becoming a pastor. Uh, going through the divorce, I was like, okay, I, I feel led to go and preach to people. And so I started writing these emails that were geared towards my ex-wife in my first marriage to pour into her. And I started sending them to my mom and then she would send them to her friends. And then it just started turning into this like email chain. Um, but it was through that work of pouring into scripture that I began to hear his heart. Um, I don't have, I mean, it's not a wild story and I mean, there's, there's far more deeper things that have come from that, but, but it was really profound sitting in that room, worshiping to Hillsong United there, one of their albums and, and encountering him. And I, I it, it's just crazy. Cause I even remember like, it just feeling like I went into another, like weirdly, dimension. I don't even know what you want to call it. Cause I just felt like all time stopped in that moment. And just the, the weight in his presence falling in that room. Um, I remember I was on a, on a little, um, what is that chair called? Like a spinning chair stool. And the stool. Yeah. And falling off on it on my knees and just crying out. Um, and I feel like as much as I want to give credit to, you know, Billy Graham at 13, I feel like I really didn't come to really know God until I was in my late or my early twenties mm. when I went through that, uh, because there was a lot of growth that came from that moment compared to when I was 13, which was powerful. I'm not going to take that away. I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, uh, power in in that moment, but uh, but yeah, that's how I came to Christ. Hmm. It's always interesting to hear people's stories and where they were and what they were doing and how old they were when they came to know Jesus. And I find it interesting you mentioned, you know, Hillsong United and the music, because in leading worship, it's interesting when. Um, when you look out over a congregation and um, we sing different songs and you see 
different um, members of the family light up. Mm. Like there have been moments where I would, I'd go back and um, sing a hymn. Like the hymn that takes me back, the song that takes me back to that moment when I met Jesus is just as I am. This is an old hymn. Yeah. But there have been a few times where I'll do parts of it in a service. And you see certain more seasoned, older folks. You can just see it in their eyes. It's taking them back to that moment where they met Jesus. And God's given us such a powerful gift in music that, that you, can, you can see that happening. And it's different for different people. Um, we This past week, I think it was this, this past week, there was a moment where there was a pause in worship and Darren had said something in the service. But there was something that he said that was to the effect of, you know, us trying to become more aware and God helping us to become more aware of his presence and, and just... Um, something along those lines and we were to pause we were at the response section at the end of the service and before we went into the the planned last songs it just felt like we needed to go into open the eyes of my heart my heart mm-hmm. this old Paul Balash song yeah and it just seemed like the prayer we needed to sing at that moment just open the eyes of my heart. And we, we started going into it. And whenever whenever worship leaders, whenever we call audibles, I always feel for the pro presenter folks, right? Yeah, yes, because yes. it's like if you didn't tell them, you know, yeah. sometimes there's a little panic in the back, like, oh gosh, where's this song? But what was interesting in this particular case is um, it seemed like everybody in the room just knew it. Mm-hmm. We did it real slow and everyone just knew it, but that same thing happened that happened for you with the Hillsong United music, and for me with Just As I Am, as I looked out and we were worshiping together and praying that God would make us aware of his presence and open the eyes of our heart to his presence and to him. As I looked out, I could see faces light up Mm -hmm. in a different way because that took them back to that moment. That took them back to a time um, where maybe they first met Jesus or where they were early, you know, they were at the beginning of their walk with him. But it's always such a a powerful and incredible thing to see how just sometimes song selection, you look out and you just see different, different, you know, members of the family just light up. Mm. It's kind of, it's a beautiful thing to experience. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's why I like I Surrender so much. Yeah. I love playing that song, too. We did that a few weeks ago. Yeah, and I got to play it on keys. There's a lot of power in that song. Yeah, that was a powerful moment. Because surrendering, responding and surrendering. Um, Darren and I were talking about this this morning. It's interesting because when you get to the end of a service um, and you have this response time, 
Well, during the service, we're we're all receiving, you know, we're we're learning. And it's like you and I were talking about before we, we started recording. Um, the word that's getting into us can be like seeds, you know, and the word is getting planted into us. And, and depending on how tender and ready to receive our hearts are, you know, that word takes root. Um, but if that's all Sunday was, us just acquiring more information, um, well, that's not really productive. Uh, it's not productive until it, it results in a change in behavior or in action. And what I love about um, worship and what I love about having a response, a worship response at the end of a message is that is our opportunity to actually take what we've heard and respond to it. Not just think about it, not just reason, oh, this is how I'm going to do things different this week or plan or, or think in, or feel good about what we've just learned, you know, not just get motivated and start shaping our attitude for the week. But when we hear a message and then we go into that moment where we can respond, that is like the first act of faith becoming action. Hmm. That is when we just heard this message and now we have a chance to respond. And respond means I'm literally doing something. I'm no longer just thinking. I'm standing up. I'm raising my hands. I'm down on my face. I'm jumping up and down. Um, I'm lifting my voice. I'm declaring these things. Doing all those things can require faith. Like to sing these things, these prayers that we sing requires faith. Yeah. And it's actually faith in action. So when we have this response time of worship at the end of a service, um, that could be setting us up for a week of action. For a week, you know, we just did something. I heard something and now I did something. I'm responding to you, Lord, to what you've done in my heart. I'm express, outwardly expressing what it is you've done in me and what you're doing in me. Um, I'm taking that first step. Um, and I think that kind of sets us up for all right, well, what about Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday? Like, are we going to continue walking out those seeds that were planted in us? Are we going to continue doing things and uh, allowing ourselves to be changed and living living the rest of our week in a way that is influenced and informed by Jesus and by his word that we just received? Um, so yeah, that's it's a really powerful moment yeah. in, in any service where there's a response at the end. Yeah. You were talking about um, your testimony when you came to know Jesus, uh-huh. and I, I love that we've been we've been talking together, we've been meeting together for about two years now, and I never knew that you accepted Christ at a Billy Graham crusade. <laughs> Here's what I love about that: like we know a lot about each other, mm-hmm. but even knowing what we've learning what we've learned over the past 2 years it's still just a small portion of who we are mm-hmm. and i love that because we get to walk when you when you walk with someone you get to discover who they are and i don't mean like in a weird like invasive way but yeah. you know in a healthy way it's like 
if we have eyes that are interested and we're, we're interested in someone else and we show interest and we we're willing to walk with them and ask them, um, if we're interested, they're going to be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. We just talked about that too last week. So for, for me, this is like, wow, I'm just envisioning and picturing you at a Billy Graham crusade, crusade at a, you know, 13 at a stadium. That's like at 13. Yeah. I didn't know this. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. I know every, everything, every single time I'll tell somebody about that. They always go to, um, I mean, like Billy Graham. <clears throat> and what I love, what you just depicted is not about the environment or the person that was on the platform but the relationship that began in that moment. Because I think a lot of times we can get to a place where people are like, oh, Billy Graham, that's, he's, he was a prophet, he was, you know, whatever it is. And we take away from the moment of that person encountering God and making it about the person on the platform. Because I couldn't, honestly, I, Thinking back, I couldn't remember what he was talking about. It was profound enough for me to be want to get up and go and, you know, do the altar call and give my life. There was something that God was doing in that moment, and he used really Graham to do it. But, uh, but yeah, I love that you did that. I think human nature is to want to um, put people on pedestals. Oh, yeah. Um, and that doesn't mean that the people are bad, but that's our human nature. Yeah. So I don't know in that situation, I find that was an interesting dynamic, but it wasn't Billy Graham that drew my attention. It was, I'm just imagining you as a 13 year old having been transformed by Christ. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, I think that it's important to honor, um, and recognize those through whom God works. So in that case, Billy Graham being willing to say yes to the calling that God put on his life resulted in you meeting Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't happen because of him, but it happened through him. I think that's it's important. Yeah. It's important because it says something um about what can happen when we're willing to say yes when God calls us to do something. When we're willing to say yes, powerful things happen. And the scary thing though is, you know, God's will will be accomplished with or without us. If if I don't say yes, well, Someone else will. So the question at that point becomes, do I want to be a part of what he's doing? Do I want to be um, allowed to be a part of something that God's doing? And if I do, all I have to do is say yes to what he's doing. And often that yes isn't to something profound. I started reading a book. Darren recommended a book to me recently and I started reading it 
And there was a, there was a quote in there. It's a Eugene Peterson book. And it was such a good quote because it's, it's talking about um, some of the most powerful things that happen, and we've discussed this before. Some of the most powerful things that, that God does through his Holy Spirit um, are in the small are in the seemingly trivial things that we do every day. They're not these big, dramatic, spectacular things. And the quote was um, in the book, Eugene Peterson is quoting um, the poet William Blake. He said, he who would do good to another must do it in minute particulars. So good. Then it goes on to say, these days barrage daily with large headlines that accommodate our imaginations of nations at war. We Christians need to affirm our commitment to the minute particulars of love and prayer that we can carry out in the immediate circumstances of our lives. As I read that, I, I thought about something we shared. It's like walking out the gospel of Jesus begins with a person in front of you. And then I think of another scripture. Um, this entire year, I'm holding myself accountable. Anytime I think of a scripture, I force myself to look it up. So I'm yeah. going to look it up before I, say it, I state it. So the other scripture was... Um, um, Romans 2.4. God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. How many opportunities do each one of us have every single day to express, express kindness and in doing so bear God's image? I don't have to go halfway across the world to express kindness, to express the love and kindness and mercy of Jesus or the joy. Yeah. I can do that at the gas station. I can do that at a restaurant. I can do that when um when I'm out eating and the service is slow and they're slammed and my meal came out wrong or took longer. Because I know a lot of us that's not necessarily when we show kindness. And there was another thing in that book that I thought was really good. It, they're talking about the universe, how all ground they, he states that um Eugene Peterson is saying that all ground is contested. That all that all the universe is contested ground, that the enemy is, is trying to get that ground. And as I, I read this thing about all ground and all the universe is, is contested, I started thinking about the human heart. Every corner of my heart is contested. Every, every corner. So good. The, the corners of my heart that I engage when I'm at work, the corners of my heart that I engage when I'm with family, those parts of my heart that I engage when I'm at church, when I'm at home alone, um, when I'm out with friends, when I'm at a store. It's like all those parts of my heart are contested ground. Am I surrendering all of them to Jesus? Am I surrendering every part of my heart to Jesus? 
And it's not, it's not about, you know, taking on this attitude of being holier than thou everywhere we go and, and speaking in church speak all the time and, you know, always speaking in scripture. No, I actually, yeah, I think more important than speaking in scripture, we should be living in scripture. Mm. Like, are we, are we living that out? Are we, um, and it's not just being nice. Right. But the word does say kindness draws us to repentance. Mm. So I think there's a power in being kind. Yeah. So are we, are we kind to those around us? Are we kind to that person at the drive through who got our order wrong? And I think we need the Holy Spirit because being kind also doesn't mean being a doormat. Right. So I think sometimes maybe the pendulum swims both ways. We're mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm being kind. So I just, you know, I get mistreated and no, but I think there's, I think it's important to, to be kind. And I think it's important to bear his image in every single situation um, because as humans, I think we're really, really, really good at compartmentalizing. Paul and I were talking about this last week that um, we have a tendency as humans to, to I know this is obvious, but it's, it's interesting when you see it, to treat people differently. Like, I've been in situations where... Um, I know someone and they treat me very, very kindly. They're very warm and accepting and loving with me. But then I bring a friend of mine along and they don't treat them well. Mm. And like these little alarms go off like, well, what, what's up with that? Why, why are you, you have the capacity to be kind. Sure. You're doing it with me. It's like, why are you being a jerk with this person? And I think we do it with other people sometimes. There's some people, man, like everything they say, it's like, oh my God, that's so profound. They're so amazing. They're so incredible. That's an amazing person. Another person says the same thing and we just write them off. Mm. It's like they may say the same thing, the same exact thing. And it feels like for some reason we, we compartmentalize even our relationships Sometimes it's, oh, you're kind with everybody at church, but you go to work and you're kind of a jerk. Mm-hmm. Or you're kind with everybody at work and you come home and you're harsh with your family. Guilty. And the conviction, the conviction that I feel is, um, and I think it's a good, healthy conviction. Jesus was the same all the time. He was the same. He didn't compartmentalize. He was, he was consistent. He was Jesus. He was the same. I love that this, this weekend, this Sunday, we're, we're going to be doing same God because Jesus was bearing the image of God. And, and I love in this song, the songs talking about how, you know, God is the same. It's the same God that saved Israel. It's the same God that was there with David. It's the same God that was there with Abraham and Isaac and Moses and Noah and all those things that happened in the Old Testament. All those expressions of of God's faithfulness and those expressions of his desire to be with his people. We have the same God now as they did then. He hasn't changed. 
And then when we look at the Gospels and we see Jesus' behavior, Jesus is always the same. He's this, He's constant. And I think that's the model for us. Like, okay, are we always the same? Are we always, are we the same in every situation? And it can be very, um, I was struggling with this last week. Like you see someone who can do something better than you or see someone that's smarter, more attractive, stronger, faster, whatever the thing is. And there can be a temptation to, to aspire. It's like, man, I want to be more like that. And I want to be more like that. And yeah, like for the past couple of years, I haven't struggled with that as much because I felt like God was saying, well, no, just be more like me. So I just, I want to be more like Jesus. And part of being more like Jesus is, is being the same all the time. Sorry, I know I just went off. No, as you were, as you were sharing, I was thinking three things. On Sunday, we talked about sharing our testimony. And I mentioned to you, I don't have anything that's profound, right? As others. And I've kind of put a limitation on the power of my testimony. And um, it, it not being this like big moment like we expect in our walk with God. I think a lot of us, we always think of we think of Moses splitting water, right? Um, we think about the prophets um, speaking truth and things that were going to happen. And there's these encounters with angels and and the Holy Spirit and Jesus. And, and we get disappointed when we don't have those moments because what you just talked about with the Eugene uh, Peterson quote is that it's in the everyday where God does the most. And there's so much power in the little things. And then we don't give that credit. And, uh, and I think a lot of time growing up, you know, as a Christian and expecting these big moments with God and only getting these small moments and, and then being extremely impactful. Um, you can either get disappointed in the way that it happened or it can change you forever. And I think it's really, really powerful to, I think especially as you have people that are early Christians or they're just walking into knowing who Jesus is, there definitely can be big moments, but most of the time, if not all the time, he's working in the relationship with the people that you're around. And, uh, there's two things that you do that I absolutely love. And the the first thing is this. I want to, I want to talk about this real quick because I remember the first time you, you saying it and then watching you do it. It was life changing for the person that received it, which is asking the person about their name. Just asking them what their name is whether it's a waitress, waiter, store clerk, interaction with whoever. And someone did it to me like a month ago 
and it felt really special. And, uh, and that is you doing the second thing that I wanted to call out, which you do really, which I love what you say all the time, which is you've prayed this with Paula and you've prayed this on your own. And we've prayed this together. We've, we've prayed this as a church, which is God, let me see people how you see them. And that is in, that is the embodiment of you asking a person about their name or what their name is. And then following up with continuing to lean into that as you continue to speak into or speak with them or into them, whatever. That is, uh, those are the little moments. Those are the tiny things that impact people's lives much greater than a big conference at a Billy, like Billy Graham, the way I gave my life to Christ. It's those little things that transform people. And I think it's really beautiful. And, and I've learned that from you. And, and as you were talking and as you read that Eugene you know, Peterson quote, I think a lot of that is exactly that, is seeing people the way Jesus sees them. Scripture says that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Um, and we've talked about this before. You know, I, I don't know much about art. But I know that there are people that really love art and that have, you know, a sophisticated understanding of art. Mm-hmm. And I know that for some, you know, they're really moved by the works of the masters. They'll, they'll go, go across the country or across the globe um, to go to museums to observe, to see works of art in person. And they will stand before, you know, a Matisse or a Rembrandt or... some work of the masters will stand before a Picasso or a Van Gogh and, and they'll literally be moved to the core of their soul because they are standing before the works of the masters and they're just moved by these works of art which seem to, to just transcend words and most of the time I mean this is oil on canvas or stone that's been carved or chiseled or sculpted. Um, and God's word says that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And he, he says, I knew you before you were born. I knitted you in your mother's womb. When I hear that, what that tells me, I believe that scripture is speaking of us and that he formed us. Um, So I believe that every person bears the fingerprints and brushstrokes of God. And the thing that I wonder sometimes is if we can sit before the works of the masters and be moved to the core of our being, why is it that we can stand before a person who bears the very fingerprints of God and feel nothing? How can we just look through some people if if we believe that he formed and shaped them. Yeah. And I'm not so naive as to think, oh, you know, this person, this son or daughter of God, is is not going to be banged up or bruised or or, you know, display the the um the results of trauma or a life lived unwell. No, no, I I, I understand that. 
I understand that everything we may see on the exterior may not look like a work of art. But they're still a work of art. And I believe that if, if we look, if we, if we are allowed to see them as Jesus sees them, we will see what he saw in all its brokenness and all its beauty. So it's, it's been amazing to me talking to people. You just ask them things and you talk to them for a little while. And there's always something you know, God created them. Mm-hmm. So, of course, there's going to be something incredible and amazing about them. Mm-hmm. And I think often um, in communities or in society, you know, it's like I think we're, I think we're walking around. It's like we're walking around an art museum staring at our feet. Mm. not appreciating the works of art around us. Wow. And again, that's not to say that, that they're perfect and pristine. No, but like just having this value, this, this appreciation for the fact that God created them. Going back to what Jesus said, loving God and loving people, I think part of loving people may start with actually seeing them mm-hmm. and not seeing through them. Mm. Um, so... I, I, you can see that everywhere. And I'm not, sometimes it's harder because sometimes, you know, folks, we're, we're broken. Yeah. We need a savior. He created us, but we have an incredible ability to mess, mess up his creation. So yeah, you, we encounter each other and it's like, man, this person's messed up. Yeah. And I'm not going to lie. Sometimes that prayer that Paul and I pray. It's like, Jesus, let me see what you see. Sometimes I'll tell you the way that, honestly, the way I pray it is like, Jesus, let me see what you see because I ain't seeing it right mm-hmm. now. <laughs> I'm trying, Lord, but but I ain't seeing it. Yeah. Um, that doesn't make it any, any less true that he created them. Um, so I think just having a willingness to see people and to see what God has created in them I think it's really easy to lose sight of that and just look through people um, and not see them. But I think ultimately we're the ones that end up missing out because I know with our church family here, every single person that, that God has allowed me to spend time with has blessed me incredibly. Yeah, Every single one of them. And what you were saying before about God working through through the everyday things, you know, I was referencing that, that Eugene Peterson quote. Um, the Holy Spirit, I think most of the time, a lot of time, some of the most profound things he's doing are are in the everyday. For us, I shared with you earlier, this this Sunday, Paul and I went, went to lunch, local place. So we go to this local place for lunch and um, we, we order our lunch and we wanted to just go in and out and get home quick so we could kind of rest the rest of the afternoon. And as we're walking up to the fountain machine, the soda machine, uh, two young girls from families that we know from church, and they're, I don't know, they're not even nine or ten or something. We walk up to the fountain machine, and as we walk up, they see us and they get really excited. They say hi, and they start talking to us, and immediately (laughs) they're like, 
hey, so where are y'all sitting down? It's like, oh, we were going to sit over there. Well, you know, there are, there are two seats open with our families over there if y'all want to go sit with us. Tell me that's not the Holy Spirit. Uh-huh. And I think Psalm 68, 6, God sets the lonely in families. Uh-huh. Like, these two young girls just came, and God bless them. And then we went, and sure enough, there are two seats open at the table with this whole family, and all of a sudden for lunch, we're surrounded by two beautiful families that we love and care for and that love us. Yeah. And we had an amazing lunch. I love and appreciate the girls. I love and appreciate the families. But I love and appreciate a God who would move on the hearts of people to remind us that he loves us. How ordinary is that interaction? That's the everyday. It's both ordinary and extraordinary yeah. at the same time. It's so good. It's just, do we, do we see that? Are we looking for God at work in the ordinary? Because I think if, we, if we're going through every day looking for those things, or at least have an awareness that he moves in those ways, I think we'll see him moving more than we realize he's moving. And to me, that's just as profound as anything I could experience at some event. Yeah. Because I will remember that lunch. I will remember that time. I know how that felt. It reminded me that he sees me, that he loves me and us. And he used this, these families and these girls as an expression of that. And I think that kind of thing happens all the time. And we don't, maybe we take it for granted or we don't appreciate it for how profound those moments are. I wonder how many people actually did what we asked them to do last week or two weeks ago. Oh, reaching out to somebody that would be surprised to hear from you? Yeah. I don't know. If you did, we'd love to hear that. Um, you can go to The Landed Podcast on Instagram or we have an email address, uh, Podcast at Gmail. You can send us a message because I'd love to hear the stories um, if, if anybody did it. I did. Uh, my buddy didn't answer the person that I had in mind, uh, which I'm, I'm going to follow back up with him because usually he responds and he hasn't. And so now I'm kind of wondering what's going on. But we had some friends from, we had a few oh. people reach out and we had some friends yeah. from Africa. I love this. And I didn't even recognize the number. Yeah. But what was funny is I got a text from an international number and all that was on the text was two eyeballs. And I thought about the podcast. I'm like, okay, who do I know in Africa? Yeah. <laughs> so that was a pretty short list. So then I reached out and it's like, is it, is it who I think it is? And it was. Yeah. I love it. But even that just, and that's another thing I was thinking about recently. Just, I've been thinking about just writing down a list of all the people that God has used in my life. And I think that's, that's, that's going to be a powerful exercise for me just to sit down and write that list. There's this chain of, of saints that God has used um, to love me throughout the course of my life. Yeah. And I, I want to, I was thinking about it this week, I want to sit there and just write that down because every one of those people was someone that was willing to say yes when God moved on their heart. 
And their yes affected me profoundly. Yeah. Their yes is part of the reason that I'm here. Yeah. They found you interesting because they were interested. Yeah, they... Yeah. I just thought about that the whole entire time that we were talking about this. So what is the, what is the thing that, that you need to say yes to? What is God putting on your heart to say yes to? What is the thing that he's moving on you to do that you think is just a fleeting thought? Hmm. Like, is there a person that, that he's moving, he's put on your heart to reach out to? Um, is there something that he's moved in you to do? Yeah. Like, just, I love, because uh, sometimes we're not sure. We, we're moved to do things. It's like, I don't know, should I do that? Should I not do that? And, and of course, we, we're pray for, prayerful about it. We're reading scripture. Um, but there's something Pastor Ross has said in the past. I remember when we first came to One Chapel, and it stuck with me. He's like, um, you can't drive a parked car. <laughs> it's like, Thank you, Ross. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta put it in drive. Yeah. You gotta, and then something we talked about last time is, you know, what if you take that first step, the second step's gonna be easier. Mm-hmm. So we have to be willing to to do that thing, and maybe that thing is reaching out to someone. Yeah. Through a text or inviting someone to coffee or calling, then I'm I'm old. Yeah. I'm old. I love to hear people's voices. I can text people all day long. I mean, I'm comfortable doing that i know but given given (laughs) (laughs) given given a choice yeah i want to be able to hear somebody's voice yeah i say that let me just give context because people are gonna be like that was rude uh i don't like being on the phone and i remember the first time adrian called me and i answered with like a lot of doubt and confusion in my voice and uh and it's because you know being an hr and, and recruiting i've you spend all of your time on the phone and I do not want to spend another minute of my time after work or on my alone time or with family on the phone, unless like it's somebody that I haven't spoken to in a long time and I'm you know wanting to call them, but I will call them. So hearing my phone ring, well, in the past caused a little bit of anxiety. And so <laughs> that is why, uh, you know, I said that. You know, there's, there's, there have been moments in my life where I felt the Holy Spirit lead me to call somebody and I didn't. And this is going to be extreme, so please take this with a grain of salt. Three times this has happened to me in my life where I have felt the need to talk to somebody, these individuals, and that week they passed away. And... From the last, the last person that that passed away was a year and a half ago, two years at max. Um, I had seen him weeks before and um, just felt the need to call him. And I had texted him uh, about a couple of weeks prior to that. But after after those two weeks, I felt like the need to call him. And then uh, his wife sent out a message and let everybody know that he had passed. And so when I feel that now, I move pretty quickly because I don't want another moment lost with somebody that I really care for. Um, 
and I'm not saying that every single time somebody calls you or you feel the need to, to, to call somebody or talk to this certain individual that their lives on the line. That's not what I'm saying, but that has caused me to be intentional. Um, and that's why when you call, I answer because I don't want another moment lost because I care about our friendship. I care about you, right. And your family. And, uh, and so I'm, you know, I'm not going to say that I pick up the phone every single time, but, but more times than, than no, I always answer. You always pick up the phone, man. Well, now you know why. I think, (laughs) yeah, I think I was thinking about one of the things that when we, um, we're just starting out when this this campus launched. One of the things that God had put on Paula's heart when she had gone through through the discipleship through Catalyst was, you know, we had to pick a life mission, and Paula's Paula was like fretting over it, like you had to pick a mission statement. And Paula's was that she was to live a life where she made people feel safe, seen, and loved. And I immediately hijacked it. I'm like, yeah, okay, that's mine too. Yeah. Safe, seen, and loved. And, you know, when Jesus, when Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit, he said, I'm going to leave so that the Comforter can come. So one of the, one of the primary ways that the Holy Spirit is identified by Jesus is as a comforter. Well, when you make someone feel safe, seen and loved, those can all be attributes of comfort. And I think, um, I was thinking about this when I was looking out the, in our congregation, like on a Sunday morning and, you know, I love the meet and greet because I, that's an opportunity for different people to connect and different people to see each other and, and kind of make these connections, these brief connections. And we're always looking out for the folks that are not connected or not either not embraced or who kind of shy away to the, to the outskirts because they don't feel comfortable. The last three years, that's every Sunday. We look for those. We, we try to see everybody, but particularly for those because we never want anyone to go unseen. And at a certain point, it, it can feel a little overwhelming. It's like, oh yeah, but like, it, I can, I'm not going to be able to see everybody. But the thing is, it, it doesn't just rest on us, like not on one individual. But what I've come to, to feel is that, and I really believe this, I believe that if, all of us are sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, if all of us are listening to his leading, everyone will be seen. Every single person will be seen. Because I think that's, that's God's heart. Isn't that, uh, I'm trying to look at the scripture now, but isn't that, Exactly, God leaving the 99 for the one. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes it, it's, yeah, looking through um, 
looking for that one. Because often, for whatever reason, there are folks that just don't, um, they don't feel comfortable or they don't feel safe. So you kind of have to, to look out, you know, and I don't know, I think about, I think about the example Jesus set as a, as a shepherd and the fact that he used the metaphor of a shepherd and he was a shepherd. Um, the shepherd goes out to the sheep. He doesn't, like, shepherds don't have an open door policy like managers. <laughs> Gosh. Like having, a, having an open door policy, I think that's like a business concept. Hey man, well, something's going wrong, come to me. It's like, you know, I, I just don't, I don't see shepherds saying, hey, Mr. Sheep, well, you know, if you had an issue, you should have shot me an email and come talk to me. Like, shepherds are, as I understand it, constantly surveying their flock and looking out at the sheep and making sure that they're okay. Because we as sheep, often we're not, we're not the brightest. You know, we get ourselves into situations and that's a reason, the reason we need shepherds. Because <laughs> we, sometimes we don't have the wherewithal to, to, to go to the shepherd. And, you know, sometimes we are that one. Yeah. But we're that one that, that needs a shepherd to go get them. Yeah. I think this actually sets up perfectly on you sharing your testimony. Because you've talked about shepherding through your testimony, through other people, shepherding you. Mm-hmm. If you want to share. Sure. Um, so when I was 13 or 14, I was pretty, I don't know, uh, probably dealing with anxiety and depression, social awkwardness, didn't really fit in. Kind of felt like a puzzle piece that didn't quite fit. I had friends, but just always felt like I didn't fit. Know some stuff in my past that contributed to that. Um, but at 13 or 14, uh, at 14, I remember feeling very, very alone. Mm. And at one point having suicidal ideations. And I remember a friend invited me to church. One of my friends went to the to the local First Baptist Church and he invited me and and I went, and, and I remember that felt really awkward because I'd grown up Catholic, and I'm walking into this, to this you know, Baptist youth group and Southern Baptist youth group. It just felt felt awkward. I'm walking in like, hey, what times mass start? Like, what what are we? I don't know what we're doing here. And um, and even then, you know, when you when you feel awkward and feel out of place, you kind of give off that vibe too. So the other kids are like, well, they're kind of feeding on that vibe, and so it kind of just awkward but there was a youth pastor named Billy who looked like Shaggy from Scooby-Doo all youth pastors he was going he was going to college at the time nearby but he was serving as a youth pastor at that church and from the first time that I showed up he saw me like I could see it in his eyes I could I could see acceptance I could see um just a sense of caring. And I felt accepted and I felt safe. And Billy made me feel safe. And 
And I think he noticed the awkwardness between him, me and the other kids. And he would always take time and kind of comfort. And he, he was a shepherd who saw me. And back then there were these things called lock-ins. So mm-hmm. there'd be these youth things where you'd go those. on, you know, yeah. you'd stay there all night and play a bunch of games, do a bunch of fun stuff. And we were doing this thing. And, and then at about two or three in the morning, you know, we'd played some game with marshmallows or something. I don't remember. <laughs> Billy starts sharing the gospel. And it was the first time I had heard um, about the incredible love of Jesus. And I was blown away. I was transformed when he told me that Jesus loved me so much that he died for me and that, that that thing that I felt, that void, that thing that was missing in me was a relationship with Jesus. Um, when he explained the gospel to me and he walked me down the Roman road and, and explained to me what sin was and how I was in need of a savior, but that there was this savior who loved me more than I could understand. I couldn't help but respond to that. Like God in that moment and through the Holy Spirit allowed me to, to feel the reality of Jesus's love so intensely that I immediately I remember it was about three in the morning in this little office in this, um, I don't know, it was like a fellowship hall or something. I remember in tears praying the sinner's prayer with Billy at like 2.45, three in the morning and not being able to sleep for like two or three days because I felt the overwhelming joy and acceptance and love of Jesus. It was a, it was a goofiest thing. Like I'd, I'd be trying to go to bed and I had this huge smile on my face just it was it was awkward but I I just I I I found it hard to sleep because I was so overwhelmed by the love of Jesus just being accepted um and that transformed me and and again I'll go back to that scripture that we shared earlier it was his kindness that drew me to repentance and his kindness was expressed through this youth pastor Billy and that changed everything. It changed. Man, uh, you couldn't shut me up. I told everybody about Jesus. Everyone from the principal to the football players to the cheerleaders to the band to my mom and dad to my grandma, devout Catholics, sitting, I'm like 14 years old. Yeah. And telling everybody. Because... I felt this overwhelming, incredible love that I had never felt before. And I wanted others to feel the same thing. I couldn't help but want to share that with others. And that started my journey with Jesus in a Southern Baptist church. And a little tidbit, which was interesting. Um, this Southern Baptist church was predominantly white. And I was the only Hispanic kid in there, so I was like a speck of pepper in a bucket of salt. <laughs> it was kind of, it was weird. But the way that they did, and it, it was beautiful. It was great. And it was your, your stereotypical traditional Southern Baptist church. There was one older lady playing the piano and Cindy, and then there was another older lady playing an organ. And then you had a choir. They wore the robes, average age, 75. Oh, yeah. Two soprano ladies duking it out every Sunday. That's hilarious. Um, 
But the way that the things were done traditionally back then was once you made a decision, well, then you had to make a public profession of faith. So in, in this church, at the end of every service, we sang just as I am. Between two and six verses, they'd repeat depending on whether there was a football game going on or not. <laughs> Glory, and, hallelujah. And the, and the pastor, he would always say, we're going to sing this, we're going to sing one more verse. And I remember, I had already prayed the sinner's prayer, I'd already made a decision, Billy and the pastor, I met with Billy and the pastor, J.E. Hopkins, and, and they said, um, if you've decided to follow Jesus, you need to make a public profession of faith. So, this Sunday or next Sunday, when we make the altar call, you need to walk down to the front and publicly profess your decision to follow Jesus. And, man, I was nervous. I, I bet. Because I'm walking down. Man, that aisle seems so long. And I remember waiting all service. And it's like, here it comes. Here it comes. All right, they're singing it. It's like, do I go on verse one? Do I go on verse two? It's like, I better just go. So I walk down. You walk up to the front, and the pastor, he prays with you. And then it was this in- interesting thing where he um, he prayed with me, and we pray. And then he turned me around, and he presents you to the congregation. Wow. And says, you know, Adrian Gonzalez has made a public profession of faith to follow Jesus. And that was a public profession of faith, and there was the... Then we schedule the baptism, and then the baptism happened after. Um, but that's why Just As I Am is so special for me. Because anytime I hear that song or sing that song, I remember publicly professing that Jesus was my Lord and Savior, and I chose to follow him publicly. No shame. In fact, there was, there was joy. I was nervous just because there was a lot of people, and I'm a 14-year-old, you know. Oh, yeah. It was awkward. But that started the journey, and that was, see, I'm older now. That's over 30 years ago. And the way Billy was with me, I think back and I saw Billy Lester, but I felt Jesus. Huh. That's what I hope to be for others. That they would see me, but feel Jesus. So good. And he was just, he was just kind. I mean, there was a moment where he shared the gospel and he prayed the sinner's prayer, but there were so many, there were countless other moments leading up to that where he was just kind. He was kind and accepting and encouraging. And he saw me. So, as I've gotten older... I've come to appreciate how how empowering and how much power there is in just seeing someone. How much power there is in, in just asking them their name. Caring enough to ask them their name. Because I know what it means to me when somebody actually asks my name. Um, and incidentally, I've always been horrible with names. But the last three years... It's a God thing, man. Like, Mm. I remember a lot more names than I used to. Mm. Because knowing somebody's name means something different to me now. 
I think a lot of that is because you're intentional with seeing them the way Jesus sees them. Because when you're not intentional, it's really easy to forget people's names and forget them. At, when The minute that you said you felt seen, Kent, one of, one of the guys at our church, he, someone had said hi to him and shook his hand and they said, Kent, it's good to see you. And Kent's, respon- Kent's response was, it's, it's good, good to be seen. seen. Gosh, bro, that broke me. <laughs> like I held it in in that moment and I but I and I think I automatically called it out like right after because it was just it was an impactful moment for me to see somebody walk out the gospel right there in front of me and the impacts that it had on Kent in that moment that was beautiful it's good to be seen (sighs) I'll read that quote again he who would do good to another must do it in minute particulars. All that person did for me was saw me. All that person did for Kent was they saw him. Like really being present, seeing them. And Billy was one of the first in that chain. But there's many, many, many others that have, um, that God has used to teach me to love others. But the only reason that I do any of what I do now is because that's what they've done for me. Others have done that. It's not something I read in a book because I read it in Scripture and Scripture changes you. But when you see Scripture lived out, when somebody lives out that Scripture and you read it, that's a whole different, that's a different ball game. And there have been so many people that I'm so grateful for that have shared and been the embodiment of Scripture and the gospel for me. That changes you. That changes you. You can't, you can't help but be changed when someone's living a life that's influenced and informed by the person of Jesus. I'm going to butcher this because there was... I don't, think, I don't know if it was Race to Stay or uh, a therapist that I follow on Instagram. But basically it comes down to, or what, what they said was, it's hard to live out, I'm going to butcher this. It's hard to live out something that you haven't lived before. And so if you haven't experienced it yourself, how can you do it for others? Yeah, so when you're loved... That's how you learn to love others, by the way that you're loved. And God's used so many people throughout my life. He's used so many people to love me well that that's, man, the list of names. I could just list names of families and faces, and even as I think of them now, like, that's how God's been working, at least in our lives. Yeah. That's I how God uses relationship and community. Yeah. I think about my kids. 
like that, that impact that I have on their lives for their future. How, how big is that? That what I just, what I just try to quote from that, whoever I heard it from. And it's not that I don't show my kids love, like, but if I didn't show them love, like how could they go out and show love to others? I think the family is, um, the family is our initial reference point for community. Keep going, preach. So when we learn, you know, in family we learn about conflict and support and encouragement and grace and mercy and jealousy and um, affirmation and trust and lack of trust and anger and frustration. We learn how to deal with all those things in family. And I think our families give us the reference point or the lens, you know, that's our initial community. So that's the reference point we take with us. That's the model we take with us when we go out into society outside of our families. So how we interact with others is going to be shaped by how we were taught, what we learned about interacting with others, what we learned about conflict resolution and grace and mercy and patience and kindness and having difficult conversations and being frustrated and jealousy and envy and all that. We learn all about, about all that stuff in our family. And then whatever we learn is what we're going to take with us, and that's what's going to inform and influence how we interact in the, com- the other community, the bigger community outside of our family. Yeah. So if there's brokenness and dysfunction in our family, well, this explains why there's brokenness and dysfunction in our society. Because yep. our families, that initial community is... And that's why families are so critical, so important. <laughs> we can keep going on this. <clears throat> Could you even talk about serving? Like on the worship team in tech. Like family comes first. Oh, absolutely. And so if they're not in a place where they're foundationally in a in a good place, and then they come into serving um, it can cause a lot of ruckus oh man yeah it's when you ask somebody if they're willing to serve in any capacity I think it's important to understand that 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 impacts their family too that's time that they're going to spend away from their family so are they willing to accept that as a family has that individual considered that and you know Discuss that with family members, because I know I never want to be the source. As a ministry leader, I never want to be the source of disruption to someone's family. Now, it's challenging, because at the same time, I understand and truly believe that we only become who God created us to be when we're in community. And this is why I need Jesus every single day. Mm. This is why we need the Holy Spirit, because how do you navigate this? This Navigate this thing of not wanting to disrupt their family. Um, but also emphasizing and promoting the importance of being community. Because what's that scripture um, in Timothy? Uh, I'll find it real quick. Because, man, 
we think about it all the time. Anytime anybody's going to serve, um, we ask about family. Well, you remember, we talked about this. Um, I'm able to bring that up because I lived it out. First Timothy five, eight. If anyone does not provide for his own and especially his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. I think that applies to families. I think that applies to the emotional well-being, you know, the psychological well-being, the being supportive with families. If, if I'm doing something that's pulling them away from their family and it's disrupting that, then what am I doing? That's, that's not a good thing. Yeah. Um, so it's important that, that they've discussed it with their family before they come and serve. And really, I think when, when families are healthy, uh, serving in ministry should come from the overflow of what's happening in the family. And then in ministry, that should pour back into them something they can take back into their family too. Yeah, that's so good. Another thing that, that unfortunately I've, I've seen throughout my years in ministry is sometimes ministry becomes an escape because people are unwilling to deal with issues in their family. So they escape to ministry to not have to deal with issues at home. Mm. And I think as leaders in ministry, mm. I don't think I don't think we're supposed to turn a blind eye to that. Yeah. If you see someone using ministry as escapism, um, I think if, if we're gonna if we're gonna try to be good at shepherding and caring for those folks. I think we need to walk with them through that. Um, and at the same time, be supportive. Yes. You always want to provide a safe place and sometimes ministry is the safe place for them. Sure. But uh, I've seen it before where it becomes the escape. So they don't have to, to deal with their husband or they don't have to deal with their wife or they don't have to deal with their kids. They don't have to deal with whatever other situation. It's like, oh, I'm throwing myself into ministry. All right, well, um, let's let's kind of dig deeper on that. Yeah, I think we wandered off again. In a good, in <laughs> such a good way, in such a good way. I always wander off. Yeah, I uh, I think about testimonies and and uh, and being able to talk about them. I didn't expect the conversation to, to go where it went today. Just talking about our testimonies. Cause it could be very much like theatrics where it's, you know, oh, I did this and I went through this and you know, you hear about all these crazy stories. I was an addict and I, you know, you know, God showed up and through my meth pipe or whatever it is, you know, some of these crazy, crazy <laughs> stories. And, uh, and you, you always expect and want something like that when you want somebody to talk about their testimony, you want to hear like the, really deep and dirty and ugly and then the beauty that came from it and thank god that was not our story uh but um but i'm thankful for looking from this just because something someone's testimony isn't dramatic that doesn't make it any less profound Mm, for sure and i think that's important for all of us to to appreciate because sometimes we, we feel like um, 
there's like a weird sense of less than because my testimony isn't dramatic and as spectacular as someone else's. And sometimes it's it's tempting to feel like the transformation that's happened in us isn't as profound or as powerful or as deep or as cherished by God. Mm. It's every bit as profound. God loves us every bit as much. But humans, we love drama. We love comparing. We love comparing. We love the spectacular. Mm. We love the spectacle. Um, and you know... Say it. Many were drawn to the spectacles of Jesus, but how many were at the foot of the cross? Oh, my gosh. Dude. There's that, there's that quote, that A.W. Tozer quote, and I'll, I'll butcher it a little bit, um, but it speaks to that. What you win them with is what you win them to. So it's not to devalue the spectacle. Right. It's not to devalue the miraculous, but it is to acknowledge that anytime anyone realizes the redemption of Jesus and chooses to follow him, that is spectacular. Yeah. That is profound. Y'all, we're only ending this because we're... <laughs> I'm going to keep to our normal time, <laughs> but I, I want to sit here and, and continue. Um, man, I'm just, I'm thankful for this. Uh, and I, and I just, I don't know, I just pray that two things. I hope that people are being seen. And they're looking for an opportunity to see others from today's podcast or today's episode. That's good. And next week we're going to have a guest, our first guest. I'm excited about that. So, um, if you have any of you that are listening that we don't know personally, uh, that, uh, two weeks ago, did what we asked them to do, calling somebody that they know or they don't know, walk up to somebody that they don't know. We'd love to hear that feedback because um, I just want to hear how people are impacting others. I think it's a beautiful thing. So you can do that through Instagram, um, at the Landed Podcast, or through our email, thelandedpodcast at gmail. We'd love to hear from you guys. But if not, we'll just keep trucking along. <laughs> we just keep walking. That's right. All right, y'all. Until next time. Later. Later. <laughs>